Book Four, Chapter Four of the Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book Four, Chapter Four In the Abbey Church. In Shoreby Abbey Church the prayers were kept up all night without cessation, now with the singing of psalms, now with a note or two upon the bell. Rudder, the spy, was nobly waked. There he lay, meanwhile, as they had arranged him, his dead hands crossed upon his bosom, his dead eyes staring on the roof, and hard by, in the stall, the lad who had slain him waited, in sore disquietude, the coming of the morning. Once only in the course of the hours Sir Oliver leaned across to his captive. "'Richard,' he whispered, "'my son, if you mean me evil, I will certify all my soul's welfare. Ye design upon an innocent man. Sinful in the eye of heaven I do declare myself, but sinful as against you I am not, neither have been ever.' "'My father,' returned Dick, in the same tone of voice, Trust me, I design nothing. But as for your innocence, I may not forget that you cleared yourself but lamely. A man may be innocently guilty, replied the priest. He may be set blindfolded upon a mission, ignorant of its true scope. So it was with me. I did decoy your father to his death, but as heaven sees us in this sacred place, I knew not what I did. It may be returned dick but see what a strange web ye have woven that i should be at this hour at once your prisoner and your judge that ye should both threaten my days and deprecate my anger methinks if ye had been at all your life a true man and good priest you would neither thus fear nor thus detest me and now to your prayers i do obey you since needs must but i will not be burthened with your company the priest uttered a sigh so heavy that it had almost touched the lad into some sentiment of pity, and he bowed his head upon his hands like a man borne down below a weight of care. He joined no longer in the psalms, but Dick could hear the beads rattle through his fingers and the prayers a-pattering between his teeth. Yet a little, and the grey of the morning began to struggle through the painted casements of the church, and to put to shame the glimmer of the tapers. The light slowly broadened and brightened, and presently through the southeastern clear stories a flush of rosy sunlight flickered on the walls. The storm was over, the great clouds had disburdened their snow and fled farther on, and the new day was breaking on a merry winter landscape sheathed in white. A bustle of church officers followed. The beer was carried forth to the dead-house, and the stains of blood were cleansed from off the tiles that no such ill-omened spectacle should disgrace the marriage of Lord Shoreby. At the same time, the very ecclesiastics who had been so dismally engaged all night began to put on morning faces, to do honour to the merrier ceremony which was about to follow. And further to announce the coming of the day, the pious of the town began to assemble and fall to prayer before their favourite shrines, or wait their turn at the confessionals. Favoured by this stir, 
it was of course easily possible for any man to avoid the vigilance of sir daniel's sentries at the door and presently dick looking about him wearily caught the eye of no less a person than will lawless still in his monk's habit the outlaw at the same moment recognized his leader and privily signed to him with hand and eye now dick was far from having forgiven the old rogue his most untimely drunkenness but he had no desire to involve him in his own predicament, and he signalled back to him, as plain as he was able, to be gone. Lawless, as though he had understood, disappeared at once behind a pillar, and Dick breathed again. What, then, was his dismay to feel himself plucked by the sleeve, and to find the old robber installed beside him, upon the next seat, and, to all appearance, plunged in his devotions? Instantly Sir Oliver arose from his place, and, gliding behind the stalls, made for the soldiers in the aisle. If the priest's suspicions had been so lightly wakened, the harm was already done, and Lawless a prisoner in the church. "'Move not,' whispered Dick. "'We are in the plaguiest pass, thanks, before all things, to thy swinishness of yester-even.' When you saw me here, so strangely seated where I have neither right nor interest, what a murrain I could you not smell harm, and get you gone from evil! Nay, returned Lawless, I thought she had heard from Ellis, and was here on duty. Ellis! echoed Dick. Is Ellis, then, returned? For sure, replied the outlaw. He came last night, and belted me sore for being in wine. So there you are avenged, my master. A furious man is Ellis Duckworth. He hath ridden me hotspur from Craven to prevent this marriage. And Master Dick, you know the way of him. Do so he will. Nay, then, returned Dick with composure, you and I, my poor brother, are dead men, for I sit here a prisoner upon suspicion, and my neck was to answer for this very marriage that he proposeth to mar. I had a fair choice, by the rude, to lose my sweetheart, or else lose my life. Well, the cast is thrown. It is to be my life. "'By the mass!' cried Lawless, half arising. "'I am gone!' But Dick had his hand at once upon his shoulder. "'Friend Lawless, sit ye still,' he said. "'And ye have eyes. Look yonder at the corner by the chancel arch. See ye not that, even upon the motion of your rising, Yon armed men are up and ready to intercept you? Yield ye, friend. You were bold aboard ship, when you thought to die a sea-death. Be bold again, now that ye are to die presently upon the gallows. "'Master Dick!' gasped Lawless. "'The thing hath come upon me somewhat of the suddenest. But give me a moment till I fetch my breath again, and by the mass I will be as stout-hearted as yourself.' "'Here is my bold fellow.' returned Dick. And yet, Lawless, it goes hard against the grain with me to die. But where whining mendeth nothing, wherefore whine? Nay, that indeed, chimed Lawless, and a fig for death at worst. It has to be done, my master, soon or late. And hanging in a good quarrel is an easy death, they say, though I could never hear of any that came back to say so. And so saying, the stout old rascal leaned back in his stall, folded his arms, and began to look about him with the greatest air of insolence and unconcern. "'And for the matter of that,' Dick added, 
it is yet our best chance to keep quiet. We wot not yet what Duckworth purposes, and when all is said, and if the worst befall, we may yet clear our feet of it. Now that they ceased talking, they were aware of a very distant and thin strain of mirthful music which steadily drew nearer, louder, and merrier. The bells in the tower began to break forth into a doubling peal, and a greater and greater concourse of people to crowd into the church, shuffling the snow from off their feet, and clapping and blowing in their hands. The western door was flung wide open, showing a glimpse of sunlit, snowy street, and admitting in a great gust the shrewd air of the morning, and in short, it became plain by every sign that Lord Shoreby desired to be married very early in the day, and that the wedding train was drawing near. Some of Lord Shoreby's men now cleared a passage down the middle aisle, forcing the people back with lance-stocks, and just then, outside the portal, the secular musicians could be descried drawing near over the frozen snow, the fifers and trumpeters scarlet in the face with lusty blowing, the drummers and the cymbalists beating as for a wager. These, as they drew near the door of the sacred building, filed off on either side, and— marking time to their own vigorous music, stood stamping in the snow. As they thus opened their ranks, the leaders of this noble bridal train appeared behind and between them, and such was the variety and gaiety of their attire, such the display of silks and velvet, fur and satin, embroidery and lace, that the procession showed forth upon the snow like a flower-bed in a path or a painted window in a wall. First came the bride, a sorry sight, as pale as winter, clinging to Sir Daniel's arm, and attended, as bridesmaid, by the short young lady who had befriended Dick the night before. Close behind, in the most radiant toilet, followed the bridegroom, halting on a gouty foot, and as he passed the threshold of the sacred building and doffed his hat, his bald head was seen to be rosy with emotion. And now came the hour— of Ellis Duckworth. Dick, who sat stunned among contrary emotions, grasping the desk in front of him, beheld a movement in the crowd, people jostling backward, and eyes and arms uplifted. Following these signs, he beheld three or four men with bent bows, leaning from the clear-story gallery. At the same instant they delivered their discharge, and before the clamour and cries of the astounded populace had time to swell fully upon the ear, they had flitted from their perch and disappeared. The nave was full of swaying heads and voices screaming, the ecclesiastics thronged in terror from their places, the music ceased, and though the bells overhead continued for some seconds to clang upon the air, some wind of the disaster seemed to find its way at last, even to the chamber where the ringers were leaping on their ropes, and they also desisted from their merry labours. Right in the midst of the nave the bridegroom lay stone dead, pierced by two black arrows. The bride had fainted. Sir Daniel stood, towering above the crowd in his surprise and anger, a cloth-yard shaft quivering in his left forearm, and his face streaming blood from another which had grazed his brow. Long before any search could be made for them, the authors of this tragic interruption had clattered down a turnpike stair but Dick and Lawless still remained in pawn. They had indeed arisen on the first alarm, and pushed manfully to gain the door. 
but what with the narrowness of the stalls and the crowding of terrified priests and choristers the attempt had been in vain and they had stoically resumed their places and now pale with horror sir oliver rose to his feet and called upon sir daniel pointing with one hand to dick here he cried is richard shelton alas the hour blood guilty seize him bid him be seized for all our lives sake take him and bind him surely he hath sworn our fall sir daniel was blinded by anger blinded by the hot blood that still streamed across his face where he bellowed hail him forth by the cross of holywood but he shall rue this hour the crowd fell back and a party of archers invaded the choir laid rough hands on dick dragged him head foremost from the stall and thrust him by his shoulders down the chancel steps lawless on his part sat as still as a mouse sir daniel brushing the blood out of his eyes stared blinkingly upon his captive ay he said treacherous and insolent i have thee fast and by all potent oaths for every drop of blood that now trickles in mine eyes i will wring a groan out of thy carcass away with him he added here is no place off with him to my house i will number every joint of thy body with a torture but dick putting off his captors uplifted his voice sanctuary he shouted sanctuary ho there my fathers they would drag me from the church from the church thou hast defiled with murder boy added a tall man magnificently dressed on what probation cried dick they do accuse me indeed of some complicity but have not proved one tittle i was in truth a suitor for this damsel's hand and she i will be bold to say it repaid my suit with favour but what then to love a maid is no offence i trow nay nor to gain her love in all else i stand here free from guiltiness there was a murmur of approval among the bystanders so boldly dick declared his innocence but at the same time a throng of accusers arose upon the other side crying how he had been found last night in sir daniel's house how he wore a sacrilegious disguise and in the midst of the babble sir oliver indicated lawless both by voice and gesture as accomplice to the fact he in his turn was dragged from his seat and set beside his leader the feelings of the crowd rose high on either side and while some dragged the prisoners to and fro to favour their escape others cursed and struck them with their fists dick's ears rang and his brain swam dizzily like a man struggling in the eddies of a furious river but the tall man who had already answered dick by a prodigious exercise of voice restored silence and order in the mob search them he said for arms we may so judge of their intentions upon dick they found no weapon but his poniard and this told in his favour until one man officiously drew it from its sheath and found it still uncleansed of the blood of rudder at this there was a great shout among sir daniel's followers which the tall man suppressed by a gesture and an imperious glance but when it came to the turn of lawless there was found under his gown a sheaf of arrows identical with those that had been shot how say ye now asked the tall man frowningly of dick 
Sir, replied Dick, I am here in sanctuary. Is it not so? Well, sir, I see by your bearing that ye are high in station, and I read in your countenance the marks of piety and justice. To you, then, I will yield me prisoner, and that blithely, foregoing the advantage of this holy place. But rather than to be yielded into the discretion of that man, whom I do here accuse with a loud voice to be the murderer of my natural father and the unjust retainer of my lands and revenues, rather than that, I would beseech you, under favour, with your own gentle hand, to dispatch me on the spot. Your own ears have heard him, how before that I was proven guilty he did threaten me with torments. It standeth not with your own honour to deliver me to my sworn enemy and old oppressor, but to try me fairly by the way of law, and, if that I be guilty indeed, to slay me mercifully. "'My lord,' cried Sir Daniel, "'will ye not hearken to this wolf? His bloody dagger reeks him the lie into his face.' "'Nay, but suffer me, good knight,' returned the tall stranger. "'Your own vehemence doth somewhat tell against yourself.' And here the bride— who had come to herself some minutes past, and looked wildly on upon the scene, broke loose from those that held her, and fell upon her knees before the last speaker. "'My lord of Risingham,' she cried, "'hear me, injustice! I am here in this man's custody by mere force, reft from mine own people. Since that day I have never pity, countenance, nor comfort from the face of man, but from him only, Richard Shelton,' whom they now accuse and labour to undo. My lord, if he was yesternight in Sir Daniel's mansion, it was I that brought him there. He came but at my prayer, and thought to do no hurt. While yet Sir Daniel was a good lord to him, he fought with them of the Black Arrow loyally. But when his foul guardian sought his life by practices, and he fled by night, for his soul's sake, out of that bloody house, whither was he to turn?' he helpless and penniless or if he be fallen among ill company whom should you blame the lad that was unjustly handled or the guardian that did abuse his trust and then the short young lady fell on her knees by joanna's side and i my good lord and natural uncle she added i can bear testimony on my conscience and before the face of all that what this maid saith is true it was i unworthy that did lead the young man in. Earl Risingham had heard in silence, and when the voices ceased, he still stood silent for a space. Then he gave Joanna his hand to arise, though it was to be observed that he did not offer the like courtesy to her who had called herself his niece. "'Sir Daniel,' he said, "'here is a right intricate affair, the which, with your good leave, it shall be mine to examine and adjust. Content ye, then. Your business is in careful hands. Justice shall be done you. And in the meanwhile, get ye incontinently home, and have your hurts attended. The air is shrewd, and I would not ye took cold upon these scratches. He made a sign with his hand. It was passed down the nave by obsequious servants, who waited there upon his smallest gesture. Instantly, without the church, a tucket sounded shrill, and through the open portal, archers and men-at-arms, 
uniformly arrayed in the colours and wearing the badge of Lord Risingham, began to file into the church, took Dick and Lawless from those who still detained them, and, closing their files about the prisoners, marched forth again and disappeared. As they were passing, Joanna held both her hands to Dick and cried him her farewell, and the bridesmaid, nothing downcast by her uncle's evident displeasure, blew him a kiss with a keep your heart up, lion-driver, that for the first time since the accident called up a smile to the faces of the crowd. End of chapter.